0: All right, James chapter 1, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open those up to the New Testament book of James. We'll be in chapter 1, verses 9 through 12 today. Uh, we're in our series going through James together, and we've called this series Faith That Works. Uh, and uh, we're looking at James specifically. Now, I like James. Uh, James is a man of few words, kind of reminds me of myself. And um, you know, my wife... And our conversations typically go with her talking and I'm doing this, you know. So James, if you read through it, you can kind of get the idea. He gets right to the point. You know, not a whole lot of fluff, not a whole lot of discussion, but just a man of few words. But what he says, wow, it's so important, so serious, he gets right to the point. Uh, James is one of the oldest books in the in the New Testament, very, very old. Um, it was written in the 40s, okay, not 1440, not, uh, not 1040, no, no, no numbers in front of the 40, just 40s. So it's pretty old. It was written by James, and James was the half-brother of Jesus. So imagine that. Anybody met somebody famous? Right. I'm sure we've all met someone that's semi-famous. Maybe you've had that once-in-a-lifetime experience where you met Elvis or rode on a plane with Michael Jackson or somebody like that. You know, we all have those stories. Um, what do we do if we have those? You know, we, we talk about them or somebody talks to you about meeting somebody famous, right? I and mean, maybe you're just excited. And you want to share that with somebody. Um, sometimes people will brag uh, about their lives. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes people will use those to leverage a position of influence you know it's sort of like all in who you know type of thing um what we see with James even though he was the brother of Jesus imagine that imagine being the brother of Jesus (laughs) even though he was the brother of Jesus he didn't use that to boast he didn't use that to make a name for himself as a matter of fact after growing up with Jesus after witnessing the cross After uh, encountering the resurrected Christ, he changed completely. Completely different person. Look at James 1.1. He starts off by saying this, James, a servant of God. Now, as James is writing this, he is, we we would call him today a pastor, but the term that's used uh, that he was is a bishop. And he was the first bishop of the church in Jerusalem. So First Baptist Church, Jerusalem biggest church in the world. Okay? He was bishop of. But did he say that? Oh, no. He didn't introduce himself as that, just simply and humbly a servant of God and look at this, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not my not my big bro, not my little bro, right? Um a servant of the Lord Jesus. And he writes this to the 12 tribes scattered among the nation. So we got that James is the author, God's people or Christians are the re- recipients of this letter, and what's their situation? This is very important. Scattered. That's a See how I like James, he's to the point. But there's a whole lot to that word scattered. If you read your history books, there is a whole lot of Christian persecution going on. Years and years and years are behind that word scattered. Um, as a matter of fact, listen, this is how old the, the letter of James is. It was written as you read Acts. So as you're reading the book of Acts after Stephen stoning, and up, and up until the Jerusalem Council in chapter 15, James had already written his letter and sent it out. That's pretty neat. So Christians are being persecuted. Stephen was martyred. Then Christians started getting persecuted, killed for their faith. They were scattered. And so, in the midst of all that, James sent out his letter. And it was a letter filled with wisdom, filled with encouragement as these folks, as these Christians that are scattered all over the known world experience trials and difficulties and things of that nature. As a matter of fact, this whole first chapter has one theme one theme, and that's trials. The whole focus is trials. And what is a trial? What is it? A trial is, is a test. A trial is a test of your faith. It's a situation in which your faith in God is put to the test. And let me ask you this. Does God allow that? Certainly. He sure does. God doesn't tempt, which hopefully we'll talk about in a couple of weeks. But God does test why a trial is an opportunity to deepen your faith in God now does God want that sure sure he does Um, a trial is meant to produce a result in you okay Um, it's an opportunity for you to grow and for you to mature in your faith that otherwise 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 you would miss out on okay if the test wasn't there look at James 1 2 he says this consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds so there's some things to consider about trials first of all James says pure joy and you know that's not to be excited that you're going through a trial right or ecstatic that you're going through a hardship but what it does mean is this God's involved God is up to something. God is doing something in my life, so you count it as joy. Remember, God has a purpose behind the trial. And while we may not always be able to control the trials, what can we control? Our response, our reaction to the trial, okay? That's what we can control. Next thing, trials are not uncommon. I know sometimes we think, man, what's wrong with me? What did I do? You know, um, Why am I being isolated? Why am I being singled out? Why is my family you know, being singled out in this? But trials are not uncommon. They happen to every believer. They happen to every believer. Next, trials may change, but they never end. Trials may change, but they never end. I know sometimes we think, man, if I just get that, that job, that job I've wanted, man, my life would be so much easier. My hardships will be over. That's not the case. You see, you got a new trial then. you got a new test. Or we think, if I just got married, um, you know, man, the, find the perfect uh, wife, the perfect spouse, oh, my life would be so much better. That's not the case, is it? New trials, new tests. Or we think, man, I've, I just want kids one day, and then my life would be, I could just tell you that is not true. <laughs> Four times over, that is wrong, okay? Um, As a matter of fact, here's a very important statement. Life in general is a trial. All of life is a trial. It's a test. Um, Then finally, here we get this in the Scripture, uh, there's trials of many kinds, all kinds of different trials. Anything you could think of is really a test of faith. And when we think of trials, what do we think of? Hardships. Um, times of difficulty, but listen, what James is getting at here is that they're not always hardships. Sometimes there are trials of comfort, you see. Sometimes the uh, trials that God wants for us aren't always difficulties. Sometimes he wants to see what you do when you're comfortable, too. And we'll see that today. There are trials of many kinds, and what James focuses in on in these verses verses 9 through 12 is the trial of wealth the trial of wealth the trial of treasure the trial of money or or material things and I I know Brian talked about this last week and it's one of those topics when you hear it you're just like you're sort of uneasy let me just tell you I don't like preaching on it either (laughs) you don't like to hear it I don't like to talk about it um but here's the thing Jesus talked about wealth just about more than anything else. So what does that mean for us? We just ignore, ignore that say, that doesn't apply. or No, what we need to do is say, well, he's, he's talking about that for a reason. There's got to be something to it. And so what I want us to do this morning is just sort of uh, challenge us to, to place ourselves under that. And if Jesus, our Lord and Savior, taught about it, you know, let's not think too highly of ourselves. So let's place ourselves under that, under the authority of God's Word and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And let's just see what, what God's Word has to say, okay? So beginning at verse 9, we're going to see the first trial here is the trial of financial hardship. The trial of financial hardship. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many have experienced this? Um, you know, maybe you're going through this right now, when James was writing this, the overwhelming majority of Christians were going through this. Almost all of them. Think about it. When we relocate, typically what we do is we find a job first, don't we? And then we, we get a house. And then we decide to move. When everything is lined up and in order, we, we, that's our process. Their process was move, get out of town because you're going to... Uh, you're facing persecution you could die get out you leave everything behind and you figure the rest out later right there's no getting another job it's it's run for your life and then try to figure it out so that's who James is writing to those people you know financial poverty difficulty those things are real those are real things in our community just right down the road And what happens when you encounter those things? How do you feel? How do you feel? You feel worried? Scared? Uh, Many times you feel helpless. Many times you feel sorry for yourself. And I know this is a real thing here. Many times you go through a period of depression and get depressed. And some people, it's forever before they come out of that, you know. What are we tempted to think during those times? God doesn't love me. I'm not blessed. I'm not very valuable to God at all. right? Or, or, you know, I'm sort of over here and and God's forgotten about me. Well, what does James say about that? Look at verse 9. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Now notice he, said, he opens up by saying believers here. So Christians, that's very important. This will not apply if you're not a Christian. It won't even make sense if you're not a Christian. Uh, James is encouraging Christians who are facing, facing financial hardship. And he says in humble circumstances, and that means just financially, materially, there's just not much there. There's not much there. You know, Maybe you've been there. You know, maybe you're there this morning. But look at what James said to the people in those circumstances. They're to take pride or, or have pride. Pride in what? Are you, you know, It doesn't make sense, right? He's telling people with next to nothing to take pride in their high position. What's he talking about? He's referring to their position in Christ, you see. They're Christians. And here's something very important. It's, it's not possessions that make Christians wealthy, but it's their position in, with God through Christ. It's not possessions, but it's their position. It's, it's who you are in Christ that makes you wealthy. You see, the reason this is a test, the reason this is a trial, is it comes down to perception. How do you perceive wealth? Do you value wealth in such a way that you base God's love, that you base God's blessing on how much wealth that you actually have, right? That's the wrong perception. The question should be, how much do you value what God gave you in Christ, right? Um, How much value do you place on your life because you've been given salvation Through Christ. That's the trial. That that is the test. You know, if you have next to nothing, but yet you have Jesus, you are wealthy beyond comparison. You are wealthy beyond comprehension, right? Not only that, but the Bible tells us that God will meet all of our needs according to His riches and glory through Christ Jesus. You know, speaking of this, I've been through this. I have. There have been times in my life when I've struggled. Um, I've doubted, I've worried. I've not slept many nights worrying about things. I've wondered where the next meal was going to come from. I've wondered how am I going to go to the grocery store and buy uh, stuff for the kids. Um, you know, you know if you've been there. You know, the pantry's got like one can in it, and you're like, what do I do? What do I do? I've been there. Um, I made it through, though. I made it through, and and by no means am I uh, rich by any sort, but I look back and I see what God did. I see how God used that to make me a better person, right? Right? Um, I see how he used that to strengthen my faith. I see how he used others to help in time of need. And, you know, many from this church, and you know who you are. Right? That, that, I would have missed out on that. When you have next to nothing but you have Jesus, you have all you will ever need and more. That's the truth. So if you're a believer this morning and you're going through a financial hardship... I just want to encourage you. Hold tight to your faith. God does love you. God cares for you. He He has provided for you in Jesus Christ. Think about that. Think about that. Don't base God's love for you on the amount of money you have, but on what He has already given you in Christ. Now, some of you might be thinking this. And I've thought this, if I could just get more money, if I could just get more wealth, I'll be okay. right? I'll be, I'll be better off. But that's not always the case, is it? You see, not only is there a trial of financial hardship, but there's a trial of financial comfort as well. So if you're here today and you're financially comfortable, you may not see yourself as rich. But look, if you're here today and you don't have a whole lot of worries it's your turn now. It's your turn. I'm going to talk to you for just a minute. The trial of financial comfort. You know, so many times we think if we can just get more money or get to a certain uh, position of wealth, all of our problems would go away. But that rarely happens. You see, the Bible tells us in Luke 12, 48, from everyone who has been given much, much will be required. Right? Um, Think about it. If having a little money is a trial, what is having a lot of money? More trials, right? More trials or a bigger trial. Think about it this way. Number one, you're responsible for more, right? You have more things to think about, especially as you get older. You're like, what am I going to do with this? Where is this going to go? How am I going to handle this estate planning and stuff like that? You have more responsibilities to think about. Number two, you're tempted to lose dependency on God. right? When you reach a certain position, you're tempted to think, well, I can take care of myself. I can do this. I can provide for myself. I've got this. I can handle this situation. Third, and I've seen this happen, and you sometimes you don't do it intentionally, but third, you value yourselves higher than other people, right? You, you, when you reach a certain point, sometimes you could think, well, I'm more important, right? I'm a different class of people than these other people. And then number four, and this is just practical, practical and obvious, is you tend to acquire things that you don't need. And you tend to buy things that have little to no eternal significance. So you see, you see the trial there? If you're financially comfortable, you got a lot of things to think about. James knew this. And so he provided those uh, that are financially comfortable with some advice too. Verse 10, But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. He says the rich refers here to to financially comfortable Christians. He tells them to take pride, just like he told those in humble circumstances to take pride in their high position. He tells the rich to take pride as well. Pride in what? Pride in humiliation or humility or, or being humble. He says, look, you should be humble with your money too. Just like... Those without money are to see wealth for what it is. Those with money are to see wealth for what it is, too. They are to do the same. The warning from James is sort of the same for both parties, you see. Don't get caught up in money. Don't get caught up in money. Don't place a high value upon it. Don't make it your focus. Definitely don't make it your identity. And definitely don't make it your source of importance and value, to God. Why? It says the rich will pass away like a wildflower. Like a wildflower. You know, I love seeing those wild wildflowers on the interstates. Don't you all? You, anybody ever seen them? You pass by and I'm telling you, there's, there's just something that makes you do a double take and you're like, whoa, that is beautiful. And it's, it makes me want to say, want to go to the store and buy those and you never can find the exact same ones. Um, but here's the thing. You'll you go by there the next time, and what happened? Gone, gone, and you're like, I think this is the place where I passed that those beautiful flowers at one time, and you, you know, you're trying to remember. James is saying that's how the wealth of the world is, and when he says passes away here, that doesn't mean the passing away of the rich person. It simply means that the wealth is here one minute and gone the next. Look at verse 11. For the sun rises with scorching heat and and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Wow. Look, if you're a person that's financially comfortable and you don't have a whole lot of worries, you are in a trial. You are in a trial. You are in a test. It may not seem like you are, right? But you are. It's a test to see not only what you do with your money, but what do you love most? What do you value most? Are you building your kingdom? Or are you building God's kingdom, right? You see that? And when James says the rich will fade away even while they go about their business, look, that simply means that... Each day that passes, each minute that passes, we are one minute closer to where money won't mean anything. Each day that passes, we are a day closer to where money won't have any significance whatsoever. It'll mean nothing. So we have trials of financial poverty. We have trials of financial comfort and really everything in between. And I tried to boil down what James was teaching into, into just one statement, and here it is. And I think this is the crux of what James is teaching us, is don't base God's love for you on the wealth of the world, but base it on your worth in Jesus Christ. Okay, Don't base God's love for you on the wealth of the world, but on your worth in Jesus Christ. James would tell us, hey, have the right perspective not only have the right perspective on wealth, but have the right perspective on God's love. When we think about Jesus, when we think about God giving Jesus, right? that should blow our minds. When we read John 3.16, we should never, ever, ever doubt God's love for us. What James is trying to teach us, don't look at yourself the way that the world looks at you. Don't look at yourself the way that you look at you. Look at yourself the way that God sees you. Look, when God looks at a believer, He doesn't see the amount of money. He sees His Son, Jesus. And that is precious to Him. That life is valuable to Him. That life is worthy to Him because of Jesus you know, if you have Jesus, you have more than all of the riches in the world. Galatians 4.7 says, speaking of Christians, You are no longer slaves, but sons. And if sons, you are heirs to God. You know, we get caught up in all these tabloids and stuff on the internet and we get interested in heirs right the heir to elvis's estate the heirs to michael jackson's estate the heirs to donald trump and they're you know they're inheriting these huge estates worth millions and probably billions of dollars and we're interested in that but what uh the bible tells us is that if you're a christian you are an heir to god and it's all because of jesus christ isn't that amazing You mean more to God than anything else in this world. And it's not based on money. It's not based on material possessions. It's not based on anything that you have or could ever work for or acquire. And listen, it's not even based on how good or how bad that you are. It's based on one thing. and That's Jesus Christ. Don't base God's love for you on the wealth of the world, but on your worth, your worth in Jesus Christ. Now, as we... Move to, to closing today. You might be saying, well, what's the point of all this? What's the point of wealth if it's all a trial? Well, remember, trials have a purpose. right? And the purpose in trials is to get through to the other side. Okay, What, uh, what is waiting on the other side of a trial is a better you. God has something better in store on the other side of the trial. So let's look at the reward for persevering. Verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So a couple things that I see here. First of all, it says that this person will be blessed. In other words, this literally means that person will be happy. The person will be happy. You know, happiness isn't tied to financial wealth. Did you know you can be wealthy and be very unhappy? Right? Yeah, it's not, it's not linked. Happiness in this context comes when you push through the trial and when you come out the other side. James is saying that's a happy person. That is a blessed person. When your love for God and your faith for God outlasts your circumstances, well, why do you think that's blessed when you're like that? Well, think about it. When you get through a trial and you come out the other side, that tells you that your faith is real. Has anybody ever doubted their faith? Struggled? Man, when you go through a trial and you come out the other side, that validates your faith, and that is valuable to you. To know that your faith is real. Look, to know that your faith is strong and to know that God never left your side the entire time. That's good stuff. That's why you're blessed. Second, James mentions this thing called a crown of life. And that's not a royal crown. That's not a, a kingly crown, so to speak. But it's more like a wreath that the, uh, the uh, winners of a race would get you know, during Olympic Games and stuff like that. The one who makes it through tri- a trial receives that winner's crown of life. And we, we think about that, we think about the future, and we can only imagine what the future will hold when God gives His faithful the rewards for persevering through trials, right? But I would say that it's not only a reward of eternal life and glory, but it's a re- reward for right now. See, crown of life is life that God gives. Think about it. When you go through a trial, what happens to you when you come out the other side? Are you stronger? Are you wiser? Smarter? Maybe more patient? Maybe you're a nicer person. Maybe you've been humbled, right? Maybe you're experienced and you can help out somebody that's going through similar struggles. You see, what comes out the other side of a trial is a better you and it's a better life for you. So the crown of life isn't just something to look forward to in eternity, but it's something to appreciate right now. Because when we go through those trials, man, God gives us life that we didn't have before a life that we need to see and we need to value, we need to appreciate. That's the goal of a trial, for you to come out the other side, more mature, stronger in faith, and more loving and appreciative of God. To be happy, to be blessed with a better life both now and forever, that's what the Lord has promised to those who love Him. So here's the response. Remember, all trials have a time for us to respond. Do you love the Lord this morning? Do you value the Lord above all else? If you're a Christian, nothing you have, no matter how much or how little, should even be in the same category as your love for the Lord. Right? Do you love the Lord that way? Do you love the Lord that regardless of how much money you have in your bank account, you consider your life to be blessed? He wants wants you to love Him that way. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, Love endures all things, including trials. Our love for the Lord should be able to push through everything. We, We endure trials faithfully because we love the One who endured our greatest trial when we opened in James we read at the very beginning we are to consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds and that made me think of this verse in Hebrews where it talks about Christ facing our trial for us it says for the joy the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame And is seated at the right hand of God. You see, the Lord took joy in that because he knew God was up to something. He knew God had a purpose in it, and the purpose was to love you and me, to bring you and me back to Him, to complete a trial that we would never, ever be able to pass. Salvation couldn't be bought with money. No amount of wealth could purchase God's love and forgiveness. But the blood of Christ is what brings life and love that money can't buy. Think about this as we close. The king of kings, king of kings, wore a crown of thorns. So you and me could wear a crown of life. Wow, that's amazing. May we never, ever doubt God's love for us. May we never, ever base it on the wealth of the world, but on our worth in Jesus Christ. And man, look, I want to grow in my love in the Lord, in my love for what He has done through us through Christ, regardless, regardless of what circumstance I'm in. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. Father, we are so thankful for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, for us. Father, may we never be calloused of that. May we never get used to that fact that you loved us in such a way that you sent your only Son to face our trials, to die on a cross, to die the death that we deserved. Such an unbelievable exchange took place. It's so lopsided. You exchanged your Son for me, your Son for us. Father, how precious and how great is that love. Father, for those this morning that are going through financial difficulties, I pray uh, for them. I pray that your spirit would be with them. I pray that you would comfort them. I pray that you would make your presence known in their life and let them know that you have not left them. Help them to be trusting. Help them to have faith in who you are. Father, help them to see Jesus Christ as being more than enough, more than they will ever need. And God, we trust this morning that you will provide for their every circumstances and needs. Father, for those that are financially comfortable this morning, I pray that they would see wealth for what it is. A test of faith to be used to build your kingdom and use for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.